Podcast. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics, and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 258. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. See us. Hello! Hey son, hey son. Woohoo. Hey, how are you guys? Not bad, thank you. Good. Great. Good. What's going on? What's going on? I got a very cool letter. Oh, oh did you? Ooh. Okay, tell us more. It's actually a very interesting brochure um, that I had in my mailbox today. <laughs> okay. Um, warning against the COVID vaccine and naming a Swede called Mesa Chebby. A Swede? Uh, yeah, as a witness uh, of like how bad... Um, vaccinations are because she was vaccinated against the swine flu and yeah guess who wrote that uh, brochure oh uh so, uh, Bugdy? yes so Bugdy? yes <laughs> <laughs> he's a superstar over there isn't he yeah yeah pretty much but not for our like for us so to say <laughs> mm. no it's funny that the the, the anti-vax movement is pretty small but they're very loud so whenever you hear from them it's always the same guys yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah that's right but Onika, that's that's not your your only clash with uh con men right um so you you had a bit of um an encounter didn't you yeah i wanted to find out something about my cat called henriette that i don't have but yeah yes <laughs> um and do we know someone who has a cat called henrietta uh yes i think so i think so <laughs> okay. henrietta and maud i believe <laughs> yeah. Two cats. yeah and uh yeah okay, i yeah. called a very uh, very important person through the cosmic vibrations <laughs> mm, okay and um the end result was that i'm on um, the skeptic zone on the latest episode episode 640 <laughs> okay and uh and so so what 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 exactly happened there well i called richard saunders <laughs> wanting to find out something about my cat <laughs> who hasn't even been born yet mhm and Okay. Yeah. Um, I think the the end result of, of the whole thing should be found out by our listeners themselves because I don't want to take like um, spoil everything. <laughs> so maybe we should just tell our listeners that they should uh, listen to it themselves because it's uh, yeah. I don't want to take jokes away. <laughs> no, it was great fun actually. Yeah. I, I laughed. It was out yeah. loud. I think it was very very <laughs> funny. <laughs> It was really good. Yeah. And uh, we did share it on our Facebook page, so uh, you can check it out there as well. Yeah. Uh, something else that was shared on our Facebook page was my thing that, well, apparently my appearance on uh, Radio Cheekup was not bad enough for them not to run it. <laughs> not bad enough. Not, okay, double <laughs> yeah, yeah, negative. Yeah, so yeah double negative. You were, you were approved. That, that was what you said. Well, at least Enrico, Enrico Zabel, who's not only the, the one of the hosts, but also the producer of the show, he managed to, to edit my, my sentences down to some kind of a level that, that is almost normal. Like, like it sounds, it's not unbearable. Well, I, uh, I think we will. <laughs> that's what I said. I, I think we will find out that this was the only 
a podcast that was dubbed afterwards by somebody else. <laughs> no, 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 no. You will recognize my voice. Oh, it's, okay. it's just no. It's deep fake, basically. Deep fake. <laughs> yes, that's good, what I mean. It's a pretty good deep fake. Well, good for you. I mean, Italian. That that's that's uh, impressive, actually. Yeah. Thanks. I I really enjoyed it, but I. Th- think i didn't perform too well i mean we covered a lot of different topics but uh i let the guys speak <laughs> on occasion uh when i didn't find the right words but i promise them that next time i will i will do a much better job but hey you have to start somewhere and uh this this was my very first appearance on an italian show so yes uh, it's a big be- the beginning of a very promising career <laughs> Yeah, probably. But I'm I'm eternally grateful to um, Enrico for for doing such a good job in editing it down to an almost enjoyable level. Okay, so so uh, what else has happened? Oh oh oh, I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you guys hear about the 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 meteorite in Norway? Actually, not. It was only 500 kilometers from you, Pontus. No, I must I mean... have missed that. I, nobody told me about this. I saw uh, no, I saw nothing. No. Yeah. Well, what what happened is that um, there is a place called Loten in Norway. Some maybe uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure myself. I I did check. It's it's about 500 kilometers north uh, from Malmo. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, almost next door then. Almost next door. Yeah. <laughs> Up there, that that kind of distance is is almost no- nothing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the, that's it's a- where you go f- to buy your groceries. <laughs> Okay. Okay, so so what happened and why I think it's worth mentioning is because of the way that that media reported on it. It's like a big meteor hit the, the atmosphere. It was very bright and uh, but it uh, the, the the way it went through the skies, people thought that it must have reached the, uh, the ground, especially because seismic activity could be uh, detected as well afterwards. Ah. Uh-huh. So it was registering on uh, seismographs. So the thing is that when they reported on it, there are a couple of things that are mistaken, and I don't want to come across as a smart ass, but uh, but you will. I really don't <laughs> like these kinds of reportings being so misleading. Like the headlines usually mentioned fifty thousand kilometers per hour of the speed when it hit the ground. It's almost certain not to be the case that sounds like a lot it is a lot and it's not unusual it is it is the normal speed when they enter the atmosphere right but at the ground level but by the time they hit the ground it's a couple of thousand kilometer stops uh, per hour yeah but probably not even that so if it doesn't come with a sonic boom then it's probably not hitting a speed over the, the, the speed of sound, hmm. which is not that much. It's, it's, it's not even 2,000 kilometers per hour. So this is, this is one thing, because they reported that it hit the ground at the speed of 50,000 kilometers per hour. Bullshit. It's, it didn't. <laughs> the other thing is that now there, there was a hunt for, for this meteorite, because if it hit the ground, it probably cleared a little bit of the forest, but not enough for it to be easy to detect from the distance because it's it must have been very small so they mention this as a very rare event it's not a rare event it's not special it's not something special thousands of meteorites hit the ground every year and another thing is the nomenclature uh that is that i i really don't like uh when they don't distinguish between a meteorite and a meteor so a meteor is the thing that enters the atmosphere and you see the flashing light off 
That is a meteor. When he hits the ground, it's not a meteor anymore. It's a meteorite because that's the, the piece of, of stone or something uh, that comes uh, from outer space. Yeah. So almost every single news outlet that reported on this missed that. <laughs> And that's so easy to look up and that's so easy to get right. And they still didn't. So it's just a good example, I think, of how little details can get lost. Right. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, there, there was no talk about it being a UFO, was there? No, no, it wasn't. No, no. So no, no such no. things. Because uh, I saw something else almost the same day. Okay. And that was that the Swedish UFO Society mm-hmm. uh, had classified one sighting, not from last week or so, it was actually an old thing that they've been investigating since uh, 2018. And uh, since they, after two years, still don't know what it is, they have officially classified it as a UFO. So, okay. Which translates... <laughs> to unidentified flying object. Unidentified flying object. They so. still don't know what it is. But... Uh, it's an honest thing then. <laughs> yeah. So, but so, but, but I, I laugh, but I, I, I shouldn't really, because the Swedish UFO society is actually quite serious and uh, they do collaborate with us, the skeptics, uh, from time to time. We are on go- uh, friendly terms mm-hmm. because they are very skeptical in a way. It's very rare that they come to this conclusion. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they're very good at identifying what it really was. Mm-hmm. And so, but this time they couldn't see what it was. So, okay, it's a, it's a UFO. It was apparently seen by one lady and her daughter. Which to me sounds like uh, not a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized that technically a meteor yeah. is an unidentified flying object as well. Until you find it. Exactly. But then it's a meteorite and then it's an identified. It's a meteorite and it's like, no yeah. longer flying object. <laughs> it's an identified resting object. <laughs> <laughs> an Iro. <laughs> as Iro. Yeah, that's an yeah. Iro. Yeah. So yeah. from UFO, it becomes an Iro. <laughs> okay. There we go. Good. <laughs> Glad that we cleared that out and everybody now, nobody will never make that mistake again. No, no, no. Definitely not. As we know. <laughs> this is how our things work usually. That we just. Clear the errors and all is good. But we have a whole show to share with our listeners. So uh, why don't we actually crack on with that? And, of course, as usual, the first thing to talk about is this week in skepticism. So what happened sometime around this week? Yeah, so on the 20th of January, 1612... Rudolf II died. Oh, poor thing. Now you might ask, who was Rudolf II? <laughs> I don't care. I hear he's dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and for a long time, yeah. <laughs> he died long ago, so who, who the fuck cares? <laughs> so he was a Holy Roman Emperor and a member of the House of Habsburg. Okay. And thus was a ruler of pretty much... Uh, Central Europe, mm-hmm. so to say, just to keep it very rough, very general. He was definitely a ruler of Hungary and, and uh, the, the current Czech Republic. Yes, at some point of time too, yes, exactly. Not a republic back then. Yeah, <laughs> and he was also related to pretty much every monarch at his uh, time, <laughs> as was the case with all of the monarchs at that time. <laughs> at, all, at, at least all of the Habsburgs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who are pretty much everywhere. <laughs> they so. were prolific. <laughs> Yeah, and he's a bit of an interesting figure in in history Mm -hmm. because on the one hand, his ruling mistakes are seen as being one of the reasons for the 30 years war that broke out six years after his death. 
he was also a devotee to occult arts. Um, so he, on the one hand, led to the um, scientific revolution in a way and helped that along. But he was also a big fan of um, pseudoscience, like astrology or alchemy. Well, well, the difference wasn't that big back in the day. Yeah, that wasn't really a difference back then, yes. Yeah, and it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily considered pseudoscience back then, but he was really into that, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he had, had his own little lab and everything. And Nostradamus himself prepared a horoscope for him. Mm, that's really <laughs> something. <laughs> and it's also really interesting that um, this mystical reputation that Prague has uh, still goes down to him. Like he pretty much created this um, this big collection of, of art and of um, mysticism in Prague. He was also, as I uh, pretty much already said with my last sentence, a collector of art. Mm -hmm. And because of everything he did, I would say he was very important for Europe, for the history of Europe, but also for our field of science and skepticism. And thus, it's maybe something yeah, noteworthy to mention. <laughs> right. Yeah. And as far as I know, he, he was much more interested in all that than actually running his realm. Like, uh, he, he was not interested in politics at all. And this is, this is how his brother actually threw him off the throne, uh, Matthias. He was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you know what else was very interesting about uh, Rudolf? He had a red nose. <laughs> Not a red nose. <laughs> okay. But now that you mentioned the nose, yeah. his court astronomer was Tycho Brahe. Oh, yeah. Who, who had a metal nose. Who did of have some an kind. artificial nose. Yes, that's right. <laughs> there we go. I knew there was something. <laughs> wow. That was. That was cool. <laughs> we couldn't have planned it that well. Uh, yeah, and uh, Tycho Brahe and Johannes Kepler as well. Who didn't have an artificial nose that we know of. No, no, no. But he was the assistant of Brahe. Mm. And after his death, he became the court uh, astronomer. And he used... Tycho Brahe was a very, very thorough uh, observer of the celestial bodies and he kept a, kept a, a long journal they, they were referred to as uh, the rudolphian journals probably i don't i don't i'm not I'm not sure about that but um, kepler used that data when he formulated kepler's laws of uh, celestial motions ah there you go so yeah that happened in rudolph's uh, court ah nice in prague so mostly not pseudoscience then the beginning of real science. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but Kepler did... He did both. <laughs> did a couple of horoscopes as well, so... Yeah. To make money. <laughs> of course. <laughs> he was into that. So, yeah, thank you very much, Annika. He, he's... I think he's a fascinating figure. He is, he is. <laughs> How much do you teach... You, you teach history. Yes. How much do you guys teach at school about things like the 30-year world? Uh, not that much, actually. Like, we have... We, we start with the Greeks... And no, we start with the Stone Age. <laughs> then okay. uh, we do the Greeks, the Romans. We do a bit of Middle Ages, but more like monasteries and um, mm -hmm. church and like church empire union, so to say. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. What else do we do? We go over to French Revolution. <laughs> then I pretty much jump to French Revolution. Okay. And then we do the Prussians mm -hmm. and Industrial Revolution. And then we Holocaust... GDR and stuff. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Starting with the Prussians, I think German history pretty much dominated European history, didn't it? Yeah, in that regard, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Starting with the Prussians, yeah. So, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we don't do... Like, we pretty much 
skipped the early modern era. And that's why we also, mm-hmm. we do do Martin Luther because we're Germans. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yes, we do do Martin Luther, but we usually jump then from 1517 to uh, French Revolution. So, <laughs> right. But how about the, the Industrial Revolution? Do you do that? Yeah, yeah, we do that. Yeah. Okay. But that comes mm. a bit later, usually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But before yeah. the Holocaust. I That's mean, true, yeah, yeah. mentioned a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I pretty much gave you like an uh, overview of the whole curriculum. <laughs> right, so now we don't have to take the course. Yes. Because we know all of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a way, it's a good thing that you don't try to squeeze everything in. Yes. In my opinion, because that's that's what we do at high school. They tried to teach us everything from the emergence of the human species up until today. Yeah. And it's just too much to grasp. It's impossible to digest mm. in four years. It's nonsense. Anyhow, thank you very much again. Thank you. <laughs> Moving on to, well, we all know about the Pope and we all know about the Vatican City and the history of Christianity. So, uh, Pontus, I'm pretty sure you have got something to poke the Pope for. Well, the thing about religion is that when you take a sober look at it, it just doesn't work. <laughs> it disappears. Uh, it's, it's, in that respect, it's like uh, homeopathy or uh, some other scam where um, there is very little plausibility to begin with. And when you put it to the test, it just doesn't deliver. Mm. That's just an observation from my point. Maybe this is something that uh, Francis should uh, observe as well. Uh, and he would have, probably, if he wasn't so damn busy ri- writing condolence telegrams. Yes, telegrams. That's what he was doing. I'm glad he's not sending pigeons or owls or something. <laughs> but he, he's sending these uh, condolence telegrams for all the bishops that keep dying of uh, COVID-19. Mm. One would think that if God was on their side and uh, was real and religion worked that uh, the very people praying all the time and supposedly dedicating their whole lives to do God's work on earth, one would think that they would be safe from pandemics, but apparently not. The evidence doesn't support this hypothesis. Uh, In the week between the 8th and the 14th of January, that's seven days, Frankie had to send out no less than 10 of those condolence telegrams, four of them in one single day. Uh, the the bishops are dropping like flies. So it's almost like either God doesn't exist or he doesn't care or he can't do anything about it. I mean, just pick your choice. That That's that's what's happening. He works in mysterious ways. That's, that's that what is. That is the, the normal <laughs> cop-out, yes. But, uh, you know, come on. <laughs> I've got another theory, though. Yeah? Okay. Let's hear it. If God wants him... So he wants him to get rid of the old bishops and appoint new ones. <laughs> yeah, but this is, these are not the cardinals. I'm oh, yeah, these about. are not is the cardinals. It, so, yeah, but but, you're, but you're right. Bishops sometimes become... Does he still appoint bishops himself? I think so, yeah. yeah. Or okay. at least approves of them. Yeah, I don't know if he's okay, so into all of the details in selecting the candidates, but I think he approves all of them. So it could, it could still be God's way of clearing the table then? Could be. <laughs> Must <Okay>. be. <laughs> right. All right. So, as as all of us these days, Francis is very uh, busy with COVID. In in late December, he felt he had to address one of the big questions, 
And this is the question. Is it immoral from a religious point of view to get vaccinated? But uh, it says something about your business when you have to answer a question like that (laughs) because people keep asking you. And um, we know from before, uh, because I've talked about it, that he is not an anti-vaxxer. And he has also said that he will take the shot himself when it's his time. Mm -hmm. But... That doesn't mean that he didn't manage to mess things up. Uh, He had the Inquisition. Sorry, not the Inquisition no more. Uh, It's the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. He had them send out a letter that he officially approved, and it's called a, quote, note on the morality of using some anti-COVID-19 vaccines, end quote. And it addresses the stupid notion that some vaccines contain aborted fetuses. Uh, So what this letter should have said is, quote, no, it doesn't contain any fetuses. Go home and get the bloody jab, end quote. But that's not what they wrote in the letter. Instead, it says that if there are no other vaccines uh, than those prepared with the help of cells derived from aborted human fetuses, then it's morally defensible to use them because doing so is a small evil and COVID-19 is a big evil. <sighs> oh, we're comparing evils now. The evilness. <laughs> so, so there are evils and evils. Yes, you could be a little evil and take the vaccine or you can be a big evil person and let yourself get uh, COVID-19. Mm. <sighs> Weighing the evilness, nice. <laughs> Right, just to sort out this for people if they wonder, what is true about fetal tissue and vaccines? Well, there are some cell lines from individual cells from the the 1970s and 1980s that have been cultivated in, I guess, petri dishes or, or the like. They are by now thousands of generations removed from an actual fetus. And vaccines sometimes uses these cell lines for for three different purposes, really, either for developing the vaccine or for confirming that they work or, in some cases, for production of of the vaccine. And none of the current COVID vaccines that are approved or, uh, as I know, in the pipeline, none of them use it for production. But at least Moderna and Pfizer uses a cell line called H-E-K-293 in the development or in the confirmation uh, of the process. Uh, and those, this uh, cell line, it is grown for, from a few cells that was taken from an elective abortion in the Netherlands in 1973. So to spread that misinformation that there are uh, aborted fetuses in your vaccine, it is... It's stupid. But in the, in the actual vaccine, there are no cells. No. At all. No, no. So. No. <laughs> but some people still feel that it's a moral dilemma. And that's because the Catholic Church is so yeah, yeah, yeah. insisting on that abortion is always this. That's a big evil. But using a vaccine is just a little evil. <laughs> and then getting, I, I don't know. You shouldn't have to, to compare evils like that. It's just stupid. Especially with something that is not evil. Yeah. So, b- 
But the reason I bring it up is that he's just confusing the public or the, the people by doing this. He should have said what I said first. No, there's no fetuses in the vaccine. Go home and take your bloody jab. That's what he should have said. And instead, he's tangled into this big evil and small evil stuff. And uh, he's not doing anybody any favor. Yeah, um, <laughs> taking the jab brought into mind uh, this video that we also shared on our Facebook page. It's called The Marsh Family, I think. And uh, they did a cover of Hallelujah, or the uh, kind of a adapted uh, the song Hallelujah <laughs> yeah. by uh, Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen. Yeah. And it's called Have the New Jab. Have the new jab, have the new jab. That's really good. And <laughs> yeah. uh, very funny, but also touching. So um, I do recommend everyone checks it out. Thank you very much, Pontus. And uh, I think we've talked a little bit about COVID-19, but we need to do a bit of an update before we move on to the general news. So the thing is, we are about a year into this COVID-19 situation, right? It's unbelievable that it's been a year so far. Yeah. Scientifically speaking, politically speaking, economically speaking, it changed the whole world this situation there are things that we still don't know about the vaccine the virus like the origins are largely unclear how it jumped from bats basically uh those are the the, the closest lines that could be found are in bats so this is this is why we think that it came from bats but how exactly it's still unclear this obviously feeds the conspiracy theories that say that its origins are artificial but it's, they're not. So the, it still shows the genetic patterns of a normal zoonosis, which is um, I'm surprised that it doesn't... There's no conspiracy theory saying that it comes from vampires from Transylvania. Yes. That, that, that would be a good have been one. The case. That should have been the case. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. But we are getting to know more. And uh, what has changed is since the beginning, we have a much clearer picture of how transmission works, how it's transmitted, how it can be stopped with wearing masks. So wear your fucking mask. Masks, please. <laughs> treatments. When somebody uh, needs a hospital treatment, the treatments are much clearer now and much more effective as a result. So we need to find out how to avoid things like this in the future as well. And obviously, one of those ways of, of trying to mitigate this situation is the vaccination. But we have still don't know how effective it will be, especially when it comes to a required herd immunity, which I will get back to later. But so far, 40 million vaccines have been administered all over the world as we speak, which is uh, Monday, the, the 18th of uh, January. Lots of candidates, different other vaccine candidates in the pipeline, including the ones in China and the Russian Sputnik V. And, uh, well, actually, the EU and especially Germany are in talks with Russia about adopting Sputnik V. Lucky you. Have Annika. you heard that? <laughs> I didn't hear that. <laughs> but not you're not the only country, obviously. Hungary is well ahead of the others because uh, oh, we're in good terms with Russia. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the Chinese vaccine is being talked about as well. And there, there has been another case of, uh, of someone also in Germany encouraging people to take the vaccination. This time it was a bakery where the, the bakery made syringe formed cake, syringe shaped cakes, little pieces of cake <laughs> to encourage people to take the vaccine, which is really funny. I and think cool. I think it's uh, lovely. Yeah, it is. Cool. I would eat it's that. Very hard <laughs> to penetrate the skin with those. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but one thing that causes a bit of a concern is the variants that are are still emerging. And so far, we keep track of two different variants, the South African variant and the UK variant that are, are being referred to. However, there has to be much more already. And this is exactly what Iceland found out recently. They are doing an absolutely amazing thing. They do a genetic sequencing on every single COVID-19 case in the country. Wow. Which is absolutely mind-blowing. And scientifically speaking, it's an information goldmine. And this is how they managed to identify 463 haplotypes, which are variants, uh, basically, wow. that, that they could find. That's more than they have in the whole country. People, I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so everyone has a different variant. Obviously, the variations differ. So... That means that even if even if uh, a little bit of uh, genetic difference can be found, that is uh, registered as a different a different haplotype. So it's not definitely that much of a concern. But if we want to keep track of the changes of the virus, if we want to get to know the virus perfectly, that's the way to do it. Like with that kind of that level of data. But when it comes to the vaccinations, there is one other concern that is the possible issue with the herd immunity, not only because of the variants, but the other thing is that it's still unclear whether it will prevent infectional transmission of the virus, the vaccine. It definitely prevents, I mean, with the uh, Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, the efficacy of it is above 90%, but it refers to the person not not getting ill. It doesn't necessarily mean that they, they will not transmit the virus. So it's still unclear because it wasn't assessed uh, during the, the clinical phases. Okay, so that's a question, but preliminary data from Israel where already 20% of the population has been vaccinated with the first jab. 20? Wow. 20%. It's unbelievable. But according to their health officials, even the infections were cut by 50% in the last 14 days uh, after the jab, the first jab was administered. But it's not published, peer-reviewed, scientifically assessed data. It's a statement from a government organization. So we have to take it with a pinch of salt. But if that is the case, hmm. then the situation looks much better. Well, it makes sense. I mean, I know we're not supposed to talk about common sense because, first of all, it's not common. And for the second of all, it's very easy to mislead you. It's not science. <laughs> but if you don't get sick because you've had the vaccine, chances that you would transmit the virus should be much smaller because you're not sneezing and you're not doing coughing and doing all the other stuff. Yes, that's right. But, but the, the the problem is that, uh, and from the beginning, it has been a concern that COVID-19 is different from many other illnesses and diseases in that it can be transmitted even when you're symptom-free. Yeah, that's right. So that's the worry. And if that could happen with the, the um, with the illness itself, uh, when going through the, the disease, the illness, it could happen with the vaccination as well. Well, the thing is that it's the concern is not that after the vaccine you will get it because with the Pfizer vaccine, it's an mRNA. It's not gonna get you ill. It's not gonna produce actual viruses inside you. Right. But the question is whether after getting vaccinated, if you encounter a wild virus, then will it be able 
to go through you in a way that it can be transmitted to others mm. without generating symptoms. So that's still a question we don't know yet, but we will see when we have more data. Where 40 million people have been vaccinated so far, so we will have a lot of data so uh, very soon. <laughs> but when it comes to data, there are misleading things as well. And one of them is uh, a report from Norway. Uh, major news outlets have reported on that, and it's very misleading. So the, the reports say that a situation is investigated by Norwegian authorities because of a potential risk of vaccination to frail elderly people. And France uh, reports one case as well, but it, so far Norway reported 23 people who died following vaccination. It could be a post hoc argument. That's my concern. And, uh, well, that concern is definitely shared by Snopes. But the, the Norwegian Medicines Agency asks for caution with this, uh, the interpretations of the situation as well. Why is that? It's because, uh, and I'm quoting them, an average of 400 people die each week in nursing homes and long-term care facilities in Norway. And we have to bear in mind, those 23 people who died after vaccination they died in care homes, in long-term old-age care home facilities. Right. And people were over 80 years old or so. So we don't know if the cause of death was anything related to the vaccination. And by the news outlets reporting on this as a fact, and, and it happened in Hungary, it happened all over, all over Europe, actually, it just builds up the, the distrust in the vaccination, which is already at a very alarming level. So we should be very careful and cautious of what we're reporting and how we're doing that. All right, so um, let's move on to talk talk about something either slightly, only slightly related to COVID or not related at all. In other words, the news. <laughs> Yeah, so my news item is uh, related to COVID. <laughs> good. Go ahead. Um, but it's a good. It's a good thing, because the COVID nineteen vaccine communications handbook is out, and you might wonder who wrote this handbook, and it's from our good friend um, Stefan Lewandowski. Mm, very good. That we also had on the show, and also uh, John Cook, Philip Schmidt, uh, Don Holford, Adam Finn, and countless others mm -hmm. and it's about behavioral science and evidence and about advice about the COVID-19 vaccine and how it's taken up by the society mm -hmm. it's against misinformation and as you like it's, it's a handbook so it's it's really practical mm -hmm. I skimmed th through it I didn't read it <laughs> but uh, yet but I skimmed through it and topics that are covered are um, vaccinations and why they are important how we can facilitate the vaccine uptake, for example, in a society when it's free and easy to access, then people will get vaccinated more than if they would have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Then how vaccine hesitancy is increased and how to communicate effectively about COVID. Then also how to address misinformation and a lot more to other topics. So I highly recommend reading it. It looks really cool. And also kudos to Stephen Lindowski and his colleagues for writing that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's really great. I'm absolutely amazed by these guys. Yeah, very good. <laughs> and, and just if people are confused if it's Stefan or Stephen Lewandowski, it's both actually. 
It's both. Yeah, we used both. <laughs> yeah, I used both. <laughs> I think he was born Stefan, but now goes by Steven because he's moved. But uh, yeah, so it's the same guy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, doing an amazing job. Uh, <laughs> he really yeah, is with the debunking handbook and uh, the the now the COVID nineteen vaccine communication handbook. Unbelievable. So people are there willing to do some translating work. I think so. Yeah. I think this might be a new one that you you want to pick up and run with. Yes. So. Go ahead. Well, we should we should try it too because in Hungary we have a bit of an issue with uh, the anti-vaxxers, and uh, well, they seem to be a minority, but they are very loud apparently. Mm. And uh, there was an interesting discussion that I'd like to share the results of because it might be useful for others in other countries as well. There is an institution that's called the Center for so- Social Sciences, and they ran an online meetup a couple of days ago to assess the current status of the anti-vax movement in Hungary, uh, what their characteristics are, and how deeply they inter- in, uh, they are integrated into the into popular culture in the country. And uh, the the things that they discussed uh, were based around research. Three methods were used in the in this research. Uh, one of them is a representative survey that they have been running since the beginning of the pandemic, and they are trying to assess the trends of how people's perception of the situation is changing in time. And the other thing is a text mining or the text analysis uh, research, which, which was uh, trying to uh, work out the dynamics of online communication and and the key concepts around it uh, that were used, like like uh, what are the major topics that are uh, that are being run, and also a qualitative analysis of Facebook posts, a selection of Facebook posts and comments about those uh, posts when it comes to the pandemic and vaccines. So this data would put together to assess the trends in the period between. September and December. And when it comes to the results, there are a couple of concerning things about that. One of them is when it comes to mitigating the, the spread of the virus, people seem to be increasingly skeptical about wearing masks and how efficient it is in stopping transmission. It's very, very significant. It's still not very high, the skepticism about it, but uh, I mean, questioning the, the uh, efficiency of it, but it's, it's increasing. And uh, when it comes to general protective measures, 80% of the people, the respondents, seem to be trusting doctors. Uh, 40% of of the respondents trust experts. And uh, one in five trusts family members. Mm. So that's something that is a hotbed for spreading misinformation, I think. Yeah. But 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 it's not natural. I think we do tend to natural. listen to people around us, to the social network we have, and of yes. course the family is very close to you. Yeah, and you do you do tend to agree with yeah, yeah. whoever is around exactly in an unfortunate way sometimes. So opinion bubbles are used in a, in a new way in new ways these days. Mm. But when it comes to vaccination and the approach towards vaccination, it's a little bit different. It's only two thirds of the people who trust physicians when it comes to vaccination. So that means one third of the people don't trust physicians with their advice to vaccinate. Hmm. I find that concerning. More than one third of the respondents trust experts. So we we can see a lowering trend in this as opposed to the protective measures and how, how those are uh, being respected. But the interesting thing is there is one new item on this list. One in six people only trust their own opinion. 
<laughs> oh boy. <laughs> this is what I call the, the fallacy of uh, appeal to hu- hubris. Yeah. Where you only think that you're the expert of everything. I know what's best <laughs> for me. Yeah. Yes. Well, Anika, you, you might be experiencing that if you're on some mommy groups or things like that. When uh, young moms are especially prone to that, that uh, they think that they know best what's best for their children. Not the experts, of course. (laughs) (laughs) But I also have to say, like, for young moms, there also sometimes is a reason behind that. And that is not that they know best, but that is Mm. that you're bombarded with with, uh, recommendations and suggestions and tips from everybody and their neighbor. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And it's just so much that you, in the end, you have to say, like, I'm the mom, I'll decide. (laughs) Yeah, I I was just referring to the situation when it comes to experts and how you trust experts, uh, expert opinions. Yes. And this is a common theme in the anti-vax movement that anti-vax moms tend to say that i know exactly what my my child needs and it's not a vaccine yeah 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 go fuck yourself (laughs) so the problem with these people who trust only their own opinion is that 77 percent of them would not vaccinate at all Hmm. so that's their opinion (laughs) wow because they don't know anything about vaccines that's that's why exactly exactly and they don't Mm. know that they don't know right so politicians are at a very low level when it comes to trust towards their opinion and recommendations but when it comes to trends more people would vaccinate still but 35 percent would not vaccinate at all that is a lot I think. But the anti-vax people, their online presence seems to be showing a trend that from mar- a marginal position, they went into mainstream. Right. I, and I, I'm not sure how much it is our fault, as the skeptics' fault, that we didn't do enough to somehow counter that. or Well, without us, it may have been worse. I don't know. You don't know. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> you don't know. But the other thing is that with the online presence, the most activity seems to be in support of the anti-vax movement, the anti-vax sentiment. So the comments and and shares and, and all that is all about spreading the anti-vaccination ideas. And the other thing is that the research found that these people, the anti-vax people, seem to pose as a bit of an ubermensch, anti-establishment, freedom fighters of a higher class. <laughs> this is how they, th- they think of themselves. And uh, that is like a national hero figure, is what they try to build around themselves. And that is what might be a key to their success. Or it could be Orban's regime uh, making terrible mistakes. One of them is that they started acquiring the Russian vaccine and assessing the Russian vaccine months ago, which doesn't build the trust of of, uh, the, the general public. And now they are working on bringing in about a million doses of the Chinese vaccine, which we don't know anything about. Right. Well, we, we got the green light from the EU, but still, we still don't know much. And that is quite worrying. And I told you about Gooding, this, this uh, anti-vax uh, guy and anti-COVID guy who, who basically... I'm anti-COVID too, actually. I don't uh, COVID. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> but he he's anti-establishment and anti-COVID measures. And now he's being investigated by the police. 
And that happened in the public eye. So in, now he is becoming a, a national hero among many of the, the, the supporters of the anti-vax movement. Mm. And he is launching a new party after he was caught red-handed stealing government money in the last elections. And now he's, he's launching a new party. Wow. Things don't look good. So that's why you didn't win that um, um, parliament place uh, Andros you didn't the seat yeah no 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 <laughs> you didn't steal enough public money okay that's that's where you start <laughs> yeah yeah I should I should do that first right okay e- yeah for the good of the people for the, for the good of the people Andros. for the good of the people <laughs> okay enough of this COVID nonsense <laughs> I'm tired of it let's uh, talk about something else yes do you remember that last year there was a scientific paper linking BMI body mass index with honesty mm-hmm. <laughs> the formal name of this study was quote dishonesty is more affected by bma <laughs> bmi status than by short-term changes in glucose end quote so this was heavily criticized not just for stigmatizing overweight people but also for it that it didn't look like the data supported the conclusions mm-hmm. uh, the test that they did in the study was to have different people throw a dice and then self-report the outcome. The thing was that you got paid for certain outcomes, but not for for others. And uh, nobody checked if you were truthful or not. But they could see on the total distribution statistically if people were lying or not. Because normally you would have a, a, a certain outcome based on chance. But somehow all the dice is not all the dice, but a lot of the dice happened to end up on what gave the the participant money. And then they compared people who were overweight with other people, and they came to the conclusion that people with a higher BMI cheated. But looking at the data, that's really stretching the truth because everybody cheated in the test. They just cheated a little bit differently. <laughs> and uh, they cheated more when they were hungry, but that goes for lean people, as they called it in the in the group, and and people with a higher BMI. But there were also other problems with the, the problems with this was the, the way they had constructed the groups because the control group were not of the same type of people as the the other group. For one thing, the control group were were more likely to be students and to be male. Uh, so uh, there were also gender differences, age differences, and there were other kinds of differences. Also, the test always started by checking the participants' weight by putting them on a scale, which could, of course, make a person who is a little bit heavier irritated and figuring out that this is about checking my weight and what do you care, for instance. <laughs> and so you could be a, become in a bad mood. All kinds of stuff confounding factors like this so uh, i will link to the some of the criticism uh but it really wasn't a good study so now finally uh last week nature has retracted the the study and that's a good thing because it really was a poorly conducted study and it uh, wasn't uh, something that should have gone into such a prestigious uh, paper the leading author though Uh, which is an Italian researcher in Rome called Eugenia Polizzi de Sorrentino. Uh, She's not happy with it uh, at all, about being retracted, I mean. But if you listen to what she is writing about this, uh, all her reasoning is nonsensical. Basically, she says that since the study 
passed peer review, there could be nothing wrong with it. But, but that's not how science works. No. Uh, papers get retracted all the time when you find out after the fact that there was a problem with it. So I'm, I'm glad that it was uh, retracted. It wasn't a good study. Uh, and also now, if you've heard about this study, you may have heard that heavier people are more dishonest than others. That is very far from uh, proven to be the case. Yeah, I have to say also, like not only because I'm overweight, I find this study like super stupid. Like it's, it's, a, it's a way of science yeah. that almost reminds yeah, yeah. me of eugenics. It's like... Why asking that question? Like, are you asking questions like, is somebody more intelligent because of their skin color? No, <laughs> it's just like, it's, I, I just don't get it. Like, why asking that question? Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I really. But it's interesting that you brought up intelligence because one of the criticisms was actually that if you interpret the data in a certain way, you can actually argue from this study that uh, heavier people are more intelligent than others. But you can read the, the analysis. It was just, of course, just as nonsens nonsensical, but that's one uh, conclusion you could draw if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I've got other good news. <laughs> we need that. Also, again, something to do with COVID, but also indirectly. Because um, not only is the very cool um, COVID-19 handbook out, but there's also a new app or um, more like an online game out, the Talk to Me app, mm -hmm. Corona Edition. <laughs> It was done by Professor Roland Imhoff, Ani Stemisko um, and Musin Kesilada. And it was published in German and English. And it's basically a game that gives you different situations um, and conversations for um, more constructive communication with conspiracy theorists. So it's it's really cool to to prepare you for that and to give you a bit of playing around that topic. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and we need, need more more games like this. Yeah, yes. I think so gamification of knowledge is, is uh, yeah. probably a very good idea. It is, yeah, indeed. Mm -hmm. It makes learning so much easier. <laughs> you know, what? what else would be a good idea? Wouldn't it be great if there was some kind of resource on the internet, maybe like a website or so, where smart people could put knowledge and unbiased fact <laughs> for everyone to read, like a collaborative effort for everybody to use? Oh, that would be great. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, that would be great. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is a great idea. <laughs> so a big congratulations to Wikipedia, who started in January 2001, 20 years ago. Wow. So 20 years and over a billion edits later, it now contains 55 million articles and is used by 1.7 billion unique visitors every month. That's amazing. Yeah. So we are, of course, big fans of Wikipedia. You could argue, is it always right? Is everything there on the level? No, it's not. Mm -hmm. But it is a great start if you want to know more but always go to primary sources if you really want to know how things are uh, but in general a lot of articles are in very very good shape due to the way it's moderated and you don't get away with putting a, a lot of nonsense on wikipedia uh, the the moderators get at you very very quickly and say hey this isn't right And especially with languages like English, because in English there are yeah, lots of editors. That's true. Uh, with small, smaller languages, I mean, spoken by by fewer people, yeah, uh, it's a bit more difficult. 
uh, like like in Hungarian as well. But with the English, I think they are pretty good in pretty good shape usually. English is in pretty good shape, but depending on the topic, if it's big topic that a lot of people are interested in, yeah, then it's probably better than if it's a very obscure uh, little topic that nobody cares about then maybe that's not so moderated mm. but of course when we talk about wikipedia we have to mention gsow guerrilla skepticism on wikipedia with susan gerbic our friend uh, pulling the strings uh, it's a fantastic group of people working together to make it even more reliable especially concerning subjects that we care about on this uh, podcast of course we care about all topics but some more than others maybe (laughs) (laughs) but you know what that shows to me that 1.7 billion hits per month yeah hits by individual unique people oh yeah 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 and that shows that people are hungry for information right people want to know stuff they want to find out about stuff and that's just part of our nature and i might have a good quote that goes very well with that towards the end of the show so stay tuned (laughs) stay tuned (laughs) oh and i've got something else that's interesting uh do you remember a couple of years ago when uh, uh, a talk there was a talk at qed about insects and them being the future in terms of protein sources because they are more sustainable how can i forget you made me eat these uh, insects <laughs> andras no i wasn't it wasn't me uh, i mean i tried to persuade you <laughs> you handed them over to me so i i know that you're partly responsible if nothing else yes but that was the first time that i i ate insects as well and it was surprisingly okay um yeah it wasn't a big culinary experience but it was okay yeah yeah but there was not a really yuck factor no it wasn't actually (laughs) no it it was okay and apparently (laughs) the european food safety agency they were there as well has just no but they have just approved mealworms as human food Yummy. Obviously, the European Commission has to endorse it still in order for it to become legal. But still, it's fantastic. There are 57 candidates, different species, uh, for food consumption on the table of the European Food Safety Agency. (laughs) All on the table. You see what I did there. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So they have to do a risk assessment before it can be approved. But uh, this is the first one, the mealworms. Another interesting fact is that the European Food Safety Agency is placed in Parma, in Italy. Do you know what Parma is famous for? Cheese and uh, ham. Yeah. Yeah, ham. Cheese and ham, (laughs) exactly. And pasta dishes and all that stuff. So (laughs) who knows? They might be adopting uh, mealworms for for different pasta dishes in the future. (laughs) Yum. They are good. They are rich in protein. Uh, fat and fiber uh, this could be a large step towards solving food insecurity in the world and environmental crisis as well because the U- UN the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization b- actually recommends turning our eye towards insects because for example when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions farming insects is a hundred times less uh, comes with a hundred times less emissions they don't fart as much than the farming of pigs Mm. No, no, no. Those are... <laughs> Actually, it's not farting. No, no, belching, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's burping. The cows. But they are worse than the pigs. But even when you compare it to the, the, to the pigs, they are a hundred times more efficient. So, uh, well, I have to say, though, that the EU 
has again had a very slow response to your situation. <laughs> this has been with them since 2018. So it took them more than two years to make the decision. Yeah. yeah. Not cool. Right. Not cool. Maybe they couldn't stomach it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good one. <laughs> Such a good, yeah. And also a good segue. <laughs> because we also just talked about slow um, reaction by the EU. And in the UK, there actually was a consultation launched now over uh, gene-edited food because the UK government wants a consultation on using gene editing to modify livestock and food crops. As we all know, it alters the uh, DNA of organisms and was tightly or is tightly restricted under EU laws. On the one hand, it could be very good to develop disease-resistant crops or resist um, extreme weather or healthy, or, or like ha make healthier crops. But critics say it's a new organism and are um, wary of it. And the UK says they're now not under strict EU regulations anymore, so they could tackle the agricultural challenges a bit differently. The critics still say it's an uh, un- Yeah, an unknown technology and it may cause harm. But um, as we also know, it can have so, so many benefits. And what do you guys think about it? I think the technology doesn't matter in a way. Yeah. The, the, what matters is the end result. If you can produce a tomato or whatever that is better than another tomato, yes, then it doesn't matter how you got there. And a lot of other... Uh, methods of doing it with chemicals or re radiation is much more haphazard and uh, less exact and best case it, it ends up with the same result so who cares how it was done yeah it's better if you do it more exact yes than just by chance yeah, yeah so that may be the first positive thing i've heard about brexit <laughs> ever <laughs> yeah <laughs> because as we know like the eu is pretty pretty anti-gmo yes yeah 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 yeah, yeah. skeptical about gmos yeah. but not in the good skeptical way <laughs> yeah we should do something about that we should i mean we we as skeptics yes let's leave the eu no <laughs> and also get the whole homeopathy treating of agricultural uh, animals um yeah out of it yes no and just get rid of homeopathy in general i mean overall just just get rid of it yes all right good idea <laughs> okay so to climate change then totally different topic i think well not not that different from agriculture I mean, no, all right, okay. It has This a connection. Is more on the world scale, <laughs> uh, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, there is a con new concern here. Um, forests and other land ecosystems today absorb 30% of humanity's CO2 production mm. uh, so that, or pollution. So that's a, that's a good thing. But a new study in Science Advances says that uh, their conclusion is that beyond a certain temperature threshold, which is it varies from, from region and species and stuff, but above a certain temperature, the capacity of plants to absorb CO2 declines. So under current greenhouse gas emissions, plants across half the globe's terrestrial ecosystem could start release carbon into the atmosphere faster than they absorb it. So that's, uh, that's not good. It is not based on modeling, which sometimes is criticized, but it is based on uh, data collection over a period of 25 years. 
The problem is that plants and trees do two things that impact uh, the CO2 levels in the air. One is photosynthesis, which takes CO2 out of the air. The other is respiration. Yes, they do breathe. And, and when they breathe or respire, they excrete CO2 as a waste product. But there's a difference when the, the temperature is getting warmer. Photosynthesis uh, happens only in daylight and it gets less efficient when it gets too warm. It's different from for different kinds of plants, but there's, there's a curve. If, if it's too low, the, the photosynthesis is also low. But then it increases as the temperature uh, increases. But then it goes down again if it becomes too hot. Respiration by plants, uh, on the other hand, happens 24-7 all the time. And uh, in contrast to pho photosynthesis, it releases more and more CO2 with higher and higher temperatures. So uh, there's no limit uh, there. So they say, the researchers say, that in 20 to 30 years we may have reached a tipping point where the forests release more CO2 than it absorbs. So, uh, again... So that, that means that when we try to solve the problem by planting more trees, millions of trees, <laughs> then we might... <laughs> could be counterproductive. I didn't think of that. Yes, exactly. Oh, my God. Exactly. We, we're just making the whole thing worse. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, you, you can't win. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but we need to win occasionally. And this is what we did oh. uh, with the Hungarian skeptics. Hey, what? Yay! <laughs> so you probably remember that uh, I told you the story of the fake doctor. Yes, I can't remember his name though, but... Um, Jolt Chabai is, is the name. He tried a slap lawsuit against those who questioned the validity of his qualifications. But, well, he, he bought them online for 860 US dollars, so... Must be worth something then. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They are yeah. absolutely valid. Yeah. For something. I mean, they do what they, they say they do, uh, which is nothing. Yeah. But I also told you about the media hit that it, it, it got when it became uh, known after we revealed the, his wrongdoings. Well, it seems like uh, this, this, this uh, did, did, did the trick because he dropped the case. Oh, he withdrew from the, the lawsuit. He realized he couldn't win. Yeah. So now that's over. Uh, the question is whether an official investigation can start now because first of all he's a con man and we have revealed that and secondly he wrongly accused others in court which might be punishable as well mm -hmm. but we cannot we, we did not uh, start uh, anything we did not uh, sue him so it has to be uh, can't be coming from the court itself as an official investigation into the situation we haven't received any information on whether this is the case but this fact that he withdrew was also picked up by the media so he's going down man <laughs> good yay <laughs> unfortunately though based on previous examples of people being brought down by skeptics and still thriving afterwards rubber ducks i'm a bit skeptical yes they are the rubber ducks this this guy must be one of them but this is at least we won a battle yeah Okay, good. It's good. <laughs> All right. So, moving on. From the news to finding out who's been really wrong, apart from George Chaboy, of course. <laughs> 
There is a dark history for Ireland and unmarried mothers. We've talked about this before, concerning mostly young single mothers and their children who were sent to live in sometimes slave-like conditions in the so-called mother and baby homes. And that sounds much more pleasant than it is and or was. And um, it ruined the lives of, of an estimated 56,000 women and 57,000 children. So that's over 100,000 people. And, and many of them are still alive today. So what happened was that if you got pregnant on Ireland and you weren't able to or didn't want to cajole the father into marrying you, you and your kid were sent to live in these houses all across the country where you could be kept out of sight for the shame, the terrible shame that you brought on uh, the community. Really an awful practice. So there have been lots of calls for justice and for getting to the bottom of what happened and where the responsibility lies for this. That's why the, quote, Commission of Investigation into Mother and Baby Homes, end quote, was created and they released their report now on the 12th of January this year. And man, did they use up a lot of virtual paper. Uh, the, the executive summary alone, which you normally would expect to be rather short, is over 70 pages. But finally, we now know the extent of this scandal and um, that should be the end of it. Except no, oh. because this is terrible. This report is an absolute orgy in apologetics. Nearly every sentence focusing on how long ago it was, how the government was never really involved, or they never knew, or how it was a different culture back then, a different time, and no matter how tragic the result happened to be, it was still a system grown out of a misguided desire to do good. Religion is mentioned... Catholic country, right? Yeah. But the message is that terrible as it was, we should now let bygones be bygones and let's never talk about this again. I think this is an absolute disgrace and a final insult to all these people who have been deprived of their dignity and their whole lives, both the mothers and the children. Not a word about calling for justice and demanding consequences for those responsible which for sure were many, and I'm sure it was a lot of local people doing bad stuff, and it's hard to see how it wasn't like it was coordinated from the top like that, but it's still a lot of people that should be held uh, accountable for what happened. Some of them, of course, are not alive anymore, and it may be hard to identify all of them, but, but, but still, it, I think this uh, report really, really failed to do what it was supposed to do yeah i'm just a bit gobsmacked actually <laughs> likewise no it's really really disappointing so uh, for failing to assign responsibility for what happened and for failing to suggest any kind of consequences legal or other this so-called commission of investigation into mother and baby homes gets today's prize for being really wrong they should be ashamed of themselves. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't sign this if they put a gun to my head. Yes, mm, that I agree with. And they probably still received money for that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, let's not get into that. Mm. But thank you very much, Pontus. Mm. Thank you for that find, and that concludes our show. But before we go, I'd like to share a quote with you. The quote comes from. 
British zoologist Desmond Morris, who will celebrate his birthday on the 24th of January. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know who he is, he's the author of the very controversial but brilliant book, The Naked Ape, that was written in 1967. And what he wrote in The Naked Ape is, among many others, we never stop investigating. We are never satisfied that we know enough to get by. Every question we answer leads on to another question. This has become the greatest survival trick of our species. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Well said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The curiosity. We are a curious <laughs> animal. And that's, that's amazing. Curious ma- na- Naked monkeys. Naked apes. Yeah. Apes. Sorry. <laughs> curious naked monkeys. Apes. <laughs> <laughs> no, ape, ape actually means be in uh, Italian, so it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just had to giggle because the difference in German is between, like, we say affe to monkey and mention affe to ape, but mention affe just means human monkey. Yeah, we have the same uh, quirk in Swedish, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we say human-like monkeys, or yeah. I think the official version is just human-likes. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, thank you very much, Annika and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Hello. Tschüss. Wislat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Oh, what was that? It was a con, con man. Someone, someone is trying to chip in. <laughs> yeah, someone is wanting okay, to be on the more, podcast too. Luna? Oh, somebody is on, on my arm right now. <laughs> Having a drink. <laughs> is that what she said? She's like, more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> more, I want more. <laughs> you know, it's unbelievable how it's always... Uh, so, uh, so adorable when the when the little babies do that, but when when you do that as an adult, you're being <laughs> frowned upon. It's it's not fair. <laughs> Are you really surprised? <laughs> Another. <laughs> yeah, every time I do that, give me people give me the look. That, that <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Quote note on the mortar. <laughs> no. Boom, bam, bam, dong, ga, boom.